Oh, very good, yeah. You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and I have the pleasure of sitting across the table from Liam O'Connor, who's the executive director of the Irish Traditional Music Archives on Merrion Square, and that's in number 73. Uh, so if you're coming to Ireland and are interested in Irish traditional music, the history, um, the big names that would have been there over hundreds of years, this is a place to put on your Itinerary. Liam, Gramila Market. Gramagat, hey, Nasan, Foster Rose, the Tashka Dukish. Aaron? The archives here, first of all, when did these doors open? Well, the doors in this particular building opened in 2006. Right. But uh, the archive itself was founded in 1987. So started at humble beginnings, basically one or two uh, collections. Brendan Branagh's collection uh, being kind of the the foundations of, of, of the collection that, that, that we have now um, and Nicholas Carlin and Harry Bradshaw back in 1987 had a small grant to work on a phonograph collection actually and um, a project that they didn't necessarily finish and uh, but out of that grew the, the Irish Traditional Music Archive so we've been um, yeah founded in 1987 the idea to have an archive of this type goes way back you know right. today 1850s really um, you had George Petrie a wonderful uh, polymath collector um, he was a fiddle player uh, um, the grandfather of archaeology in Ireland uh, and um, water colourist as well but he, he collected the guts of two to over 2000 tunes really but he, um, he identified after the great famine that uh, the land of song was now silent and um, that resonated with, with a lot of people. He had an, an open kind of subscription and call um, where he asked for people to send him their private manuscripts to gather up tunes and songs that would be in danger of being forgotten, send them to him, and he would publish them under the, the auspices of um, the Society for the Preservation and Publication of the Melodies of Ireland. So he got one collection off, worked wonderfully well, um, and the idea was that he would leave all the manuscripts in a publicly accessible library in Dublin, and that, that's in the mid-1850s, and then uh, sadly when he died, everyone really went back to their own, our own private endeavours as, as opposed to a collective So I think that idea, uh, you know, of, of gathering the materials of Irish traditional music, song and dance in one central location that can be accessible to the to anyone um, is is a long-standing one, and unfortunately, it took a long time to get started. But much of traditional culture is vaporware, and by that I mean that yeah. the people who would have participated and been active would not have been working from script, uh, be it story, be it dance, be it music. They were. Um, and I don't use the term derogatorily mm. there would have been peasants at crossroad dances yeah. so they would not have had the same type of access to streaming or CDs or LPs that have happened over the last 20-30 years so to gather such an archive would have been a challenge on two levels one, there would have been a limited amount available yeah. and the ability to gather the vaporware would have been very hard yeah, well, that's a very astute observation, Austin. It's it's primarily an oral tradition, you know, yeah. and it's a tradition that's that's uh, born out of the people and for the people, you know, and it's it's it functions on so many levels, on a social level, on an artistic level. Some people would claim it a spiritual level. 
so it's it's all it can be anything really, but it's it's all in its in its roots. Um, increasingly, people have access to education where they are musically literate. So tunes that were collected in you know by young Edward Bunting in 1792 at the Belfast Harp Gathering that were in danger of uh, just dying out in our mm-hmm. tradition. Once they're gone, they're gone. Mm-hmm. You know. So he he you know if I used Edward Bunting as, as an example. The technology available to him at the time was a piece of paper and a pen. Yeah. And he had the music uh, training, I suppose, to, to, to take from an oral tradition to put it in the skeletons of that, you know, just the bare bones, really, committed to paper so it could be revived at some future stage. And Bunting, when he was 19, was, uh, um, was commissioned to, to notate at the Belfast Harp Gathering the last of those bardic harpers and, and from there you, know, you have he committed the rest of his life to um, to collecting music and, uh, and some of those tunes are still you know, hugely important in, in Ireland you know you have the uh, Roaching Dove you have O'Neill's Cavalcade you have uh, the Wild Geese all these great pieces that only for he committed to paper we wouldn't have them um, so I think you're judged, and I, I think of this in, in my own role here, success is, is, is some combination of uh, what you achieve, but with the resources available to you. Right. So there's never been, um, I remind the staff of this and myself of this, that, that there's never been an, um, an archival team like we have at the moment, you know, a small team, like 12 people, but... Um, even at that, the resources at our disposal are, are incredible compared to the amazing work our predecessors, if you could, Bunting with pen and paper, yeah. P.W. Joyce, his son, lived here uh, in, the, in the 1900s. Um, these guys who collected, you know, uh, literally thousands of tunes and uh, just with pen and paper. So, yeah, we've iPhones, we've 4K cameras, we've... Um, we've Google search for as well to find the person with an address to where you need to go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think the whole idea of collecting something is also uh, the, the premise which kind of gives an urgency to collecting something is it's in danger. You know, mm-hmm. if it wasn't in danger, you might pretend it's fine. It's looking after itself. So I think, think uh, at various stages, like when Brendan Brannock was collecting uh, as a civil servant here in, in Dublin in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. He was collecting on the base that he thought this tradition could die out. Same right. with P.W. Joyce. You know, he started to formally collect music in, you know, in 1845 at the, the you know, the, the, the kick-off of the, the on Gertha Moore, the big famine. Yeah. And um, he, again, thought it was dying out. So it's, there's often, we're perhaps not at that, uh, you know, if you looked at the numbers for people participating in Irish Irish music, song and dance all over the world, not just in, in Ireland. And uh, you have you've access to instruments, access to teachers, access to online resources. So the the there's a surge in people learning and playing and singing and and, and, and if you if you have the interest, most people will have a kind of uh, an access point to some degree, you know. Right. You're not dependent on being born into an area steeped in it, you know, like right. Steve Luker or, or Gertrude back in the, you know, the early 1900s from Coleman was growing up. Or right. 
so um, all you really need is an interest and, and you know we maybe in the, in the you know we might take that as a privileged thing that you'd have access to the internet and access to some free time and access right. to an instrument to, uh, and, uh, and good health but and again, not everybody is born with the ability either to play or to sing. So um, when you talk with access to an instrument, the, the instrument side of it as well raises a whole other series of archives. And all that kind of stuff is quite bulky. So the ability of uh, to draw a line and say, well, we're an archive and we're not a museum, um, must also arise in some of your challenges. Yeah, yeah. It's um, something I'd be... We're doing our next strategy, Rio, um I'd be open to like we have instruments to get donated to us. I'd be open to having them on display or having them out on, on loan. Um, I see like we have uh, with a member of staff here, uh, Porik McDonough, who has uh, who was gifted Lee Mufflin's pipes, who were owned right. by Seamus Ennis. Now it's great right. to see them out played, you know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. we've other instruments donated here um, that uh, that have a story to tell, and uh, you know. So the the line I think between museum and archive uh, is one that uh, to be up for review, you know. I yeah, think, and um, I guess it, it depends on a lot of things. Like space would be a big issue on something like that. Yeah, and you know the environment because again the atmosphere around some solid things needs to be so careful yeah. that they're deteriorating up. Yeah, well that, that's, that's a, uh, again, a good, good observation. It, it, for your listeners, we're, we're in a, a, a beautiful Georgian building. It was it was built in 1792, the same year as the, the Belfast Harp collection right. was started. It's, uh, it was never envisaged to be a, an archive. Yeah. Uh, it's in this you know, the centre city, the Dublin city is near government buildings, beautiful green uh, park outside. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's in terms of housing unique precious materials, you know, it's... it's um, it was originally a residence. Originally, exactly a residence. It, yeah. it would be, in terms of fire safety or that, for unique materials, it's not, it's not temperature control, yeah. it's not humidity control. Uh, if there's a flood, you know, uh, a leak in the roof that's been designed in 1792, yeah. there's all those vulnerabilities. But um, I think we're, yeah, we're delighted with the building, but it's a race between, as we digitise more material, make that go from physical to, fi- to digital right that we can open access to people all around the world right. 24-7 as opposed to people who are privileged enough to be free between 9 and 5 in yeah. Dublin city centre on Monday to Friday right so what we house here is like we like to have one copy of every published collection on Irish Trisha Music Song and Dance so right. one copy at least that's on the library side. So we have a library on the first floor. You don't need any membership or appointment. Just just present yourself. Yeah. And um, separate to that, then is the archive itself, which is the unique materials. You know, right. so private manuscripts, correspondence, non-commercial recordings. So there, there uh, photographs, all those. So to to be the kind of custodians of of materials. Uh, created and collected by private individuals to be to, to be kind of the public uh, interface there is um, is our core work really. We have a studio in the basement as well where we do our own field recordings mm-hmm. and productions. Um, again, it goes back to our early point about the oral tradition. 
and I, I labour this point to, to, to our board as well, when, particularly when I started, like there's at-risk materials, you could think of manuscripts, you could think of rare, fragile reel-to-reels or rare acetate discs, right. yeah, that, yeah. You know, there's only one physical carrier, where there's information in people's brains and minds and, and lived experience that, that is just as uh, fragile and at risk, you know. Even more at risk in myth. I th- yeah, and it, it's like, you know, if we used the example, say, yeah, we'd, uh, fantastic singer working with Christy Moore, and Christy Moore, you know, world-renowned yeah. um, singer, but what Christy's doing with us is, is, uh, is documenting the background to his life in, in music that it's it's uh, where he got songs from all the contextual information that wouldn't end up in a commercial release right. wouldn't end up in a in a in a you know a tv broadcast or a gig it's you know it's it's a heavier contextual information you know that, right. that so that that's that's uh, one example but are ones where you race against time you know we'd we'd have Sean Keane, the Philip from the Chieftains. We yeah. had a two-year project with Sean. Sadly, he, he passed away. Yeah. He got to see the the, the uh, film we produced with him and um, watched it with his family at, at Scotsardo Wheelie Clancy Milton Malbec. But uh, you're in a race against time for the unique material in someone's mind, you know. So that's that's part of it too. And um, then uh, the, you can physically see we're tight on space. You know the collection has outgrown the building, so yeah, we've offsite yeah. storage, and um, that's in line with archival uh, international best practice. So it's you know much more secure than here in terms of uh, humidity, temperature, um, you know fireproof. All that is. And is, nature would have a fire would be the worst thing that can happen here. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. A dangerous combination of. Uh, paper, paper. paper and digital uh, yeah, but, but paper particularly so yeah. Liam then one of the questions that must arise is where is the line between traditional and non-traditional yeah excellent question yeah yeah um, I we referenced Christy Moore there and it's something I would have uh, spoken to him about as well as to like it, I think it's for future generations retrospectively to judge what's what is traditional, what's not. Right. So that's my particular view. Like, so what's accepted into a common repertoire that d- dissolves over time, and it, it's kind of got like if you take tunes like um, uh, the books of Aramore. I mean, there's literally thousands upon thousands of fingerprints in that tune. No right. one knows who composed it. No one knows where. Where you can say where it was first. Uh, appeared in a printed collection, okay, but that's not you know that's not the the, the origins of it. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, the old tradition s- extends way back. So if you've a newly composed tune, you know, happens all the time here that if someone composes a really good tune and the community decides to play it, yeah. and it ends up in sessions, it ends up almost morphing slightly, gets changed, and and the edge is knocked off it and. All of a sudden, it's 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 known in the common repertoire by people, you know, the people vote by playing. You know, so, so again, I think using Christie as an example there, like Christie's list on Varna. Yeah. Now, would that, at this stage or at some stage in the future, fall in under traditional? I think so. Yeah, because I think it's 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 for future generations to to, yeah. to judge that. So I think our remit is to collect uh, as broad, uh, uh, like collect. The, the historic and the contemporary materials of traditional right. music. So we've um, 
we've uh, another series called Sayer, which you know Irish for for like kind of um, material or, or creation or works, and uh, we've feature a compo- one composer every month of in the traditional idiom. So okay. tunes that are composed, say Charlie Lennon. Right. Yes. And Charlie is. Uh, He's he's originally from Leitrim and, and lives in in, in Spittle now, yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, lived in Liverpool and Dublin for a while as well. But Char- Charlie has been composing tunes for the last 60, 70 years. His mm-hmm. books of his compositions, fantastic tradition bearer himself. But his tunes are played in like every session of Irish music. If you started some of his most popular tunes, people would would know them there. You wouldn't be left alone, right. you know. So his, his tunes within his own lifetime have gone into a common repertoire. Now, some more than others, but um, we started a series then in 2021 that said, okay, and we started with Charlie, the first first, uh, first invited composer in January to document three or four of his tunes. Right. And he has hundreds of them, but three or four of them, because it's to show that it's a living tradition, you know. For a living article, we need to try and keep up with a yeah, living tradition. Yeah, so yeah. if there's if Charlie Lennon is composed he'd compose a tune in honour of Lada Byrne for that, that commission. And uh, we have the composer his setting of the tune. He has his information of why he called it, why how he composed it is there. It's digitally accessible. Someone likes it, they can learn it online. Um, you can slow the tune down if you want. Okay. So, uh, so you don't need to be able to read music. You can the computer can do it for you. Okay. Um, and it's a it's a way of connecting composers with their own community of learners and people. I include myself in that as a learner that you're searching for new tunes, like you know. Yeah. And if enough people like that tune, enough people play it. It crosses over from something that's proposed to the tradition as something that's uh, dissolved into the tradition, you know. So I think uh, that that would go against the previous philosophy. You know, someone like Brendan Brannock would, uh, I'm sure, would disagree with me in that. You know, he felt that even though Carl and Tommy Potts and Seamus Ensign member criticising the likes so, of, you know, they were saying, well, Carl, well, we know, he, you know, he's not a traditional composer because we know he composed it. So I, I wouldn't have that. Uh, I, I'd, I think the thing we, 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 our job is just to present material. If it takes off retrospectively and it's for 56 years time for someone to go, oh well, X amount of those tunes were they played. They you know, meet the criteria. And a certain amount of them, you know, they just won't, won't capture people's imaginations and, and tough luck. You raised <laughs> a very interesting point there in a comment you just made like you know you said some you can slow it down the computer if you're a for a slow session or whatever and what hit me instantly was we're in this world where nothing we hear about at the moment is AI mm. and when you think about the possibility that the traditional music of Ireland is fed into some computer somewhere and it starts churning out um, music that is in the same nuance as our traditional music. Yeah. Um, who knows where, like, at yeah. some stage in the future, what's the job of an archive? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's, it's uh, I don't even think we need to say the future. Like, some of those things are happening, you know, there, there's, there, I'm aware of a couple of projects that's, that have already happened that 
that people are feeding computers tunes, you know, from from databases, and, and their computers spitting back out tunes. Now, whether whether any good or not is 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 up again up for the, the society, the, the practitioners to to play them because I, I think it's ultimately kind of you know. Uh, It'll, it has the potential to really question what is media and what's the benefit of it and why the, 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 the kind of obvious but big questions and, and it's my, a friend of mine I asked him uh, uh, just a little bit of a tangible I asked him it's, it's such an, he's into climbing and he's climbing Mount Blanc or something and, and, uh, and I asked oh it's such a, so I didn't realise he's climbing is he, is he a good climber and he said well look it's like this lean the best climber is the person who enjoys it most, you know. Right. So whether that's uh, climbing 20 feet or 2,000 meters or whatever, it's a. So it maybe music with AI and things like that, while it might produce a lot of more repertoire potentially for us, right? Uh, which might not be brilliant. There might be, you know, I can imagine a situation where if I put in my favourite. 200 tunes kind of give me another 200 you know and is there a morphing of it yeah and, and that's that's uh, that's possible but it's it's what I do with that as a fiddle player then uh, the other end if I get enjoyment out of playing those and it brings meaning and enjoyment to my life well you know that's that's good uh, it's not um yeah, it'd be interesting to see I think where where it could get very disconcerting for people is if um uh, and it's happened in the, the world of acting, I think, already. There's concerns around that. But if it fed in live performances of someone's style, so if you fed a machine, let's say we take Matt Malloy, for example, right. and we, we fed every recording we have in the arc of Matt Malloy into yeah. AI, and, um, and if it could produce tunes that Matt never played or heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> spat it out as him, you know, yeah. you'd wonder, uh, are these... Uh, how far these things are around the corner but at the same time um, I think that the, you will always be left with, with what Matt gets out of himself playing and what you get out as a human being listening to someone like Matt bringing things to an extraordinary level you know and uh, it'd be interesting yeah, if, a, if a machine can create that same excitement maybe we've got to be Open to that. It's, it's, like, it's all as you said. There's a subjectivity about this. Yeah. And I remember being told or being asked once, like, what's the difference between sound and noise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sound is what you like, and noise is what you don't. Yeah, yeah. And it could be the same thing to different people, but it's it's subjective. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I had a discussion with a, a fiddle player. Who's, uh, I think he's an astrophysicist or, uh, at, at an early stage in his life, at Crevin O'Reilly, and, and he was he was uh, of the view, and he's very much into technology, but that that what you'd be left with is unique original thought. You know, will, right. will there be a, a currency in that uh, artistic currency or whatever currency you want to think of uh, that will uh, exceed what machines can do but the generic will be under threat you know uh, I didn't necessarily agree but uh, going back to Bunting um, you know one of the things you mentioned was he went around he notated and I suppose the great thing about traditional music is you can present the notation to be it Sligo player um, down into Kerry and the interpretation of the same notation will be different. So in many ways, the tradition 
is really is being captured in a laboratory format yeah that allows local interpretation yeah yeah I think that that's that's one of the most interesting things about the Irish tradition I say that as Irish tradition as in you know not limited to the island uh, such but like wherever people are, are passionate and interested in and playing this music that the, the individual voices is hugely important and the, the canvas and the philosophy and the freedom to to get a balance between a, a shared tradition and an individual voice so you take someone like uh, Virginia Constitution on Tommy Peoples you know he's he's from Donegal he's you know and you know he's a Donegal fiddler, but you know it's Tommy Peep is very unique. Right, so there, right. there's these uh, kind of juxtaposed kind of um, almost uh, they, they would seem on, on some levels common, but they're not. They're paradox. They're, they're true. Like you know, yeah. I mean, Donegal and unique. That's nothing to do with Donegal all at once. You know. Yeah. So I, I think the, the local voice is hugely interesting. I think regional um, things would probably you know be this uh, kind of diluted to, to some extent you know and it's not necessarily a, a bad thing I think uh, like if there's, if there's fiddle players born or in Sleeve Lucre they, they will he- it'd be weird for them not to hear other musicians that are present from other parts of the country it's like it's only natural you know and similarly too you might have musicians like some of the best um, practitioners of of West Clare fiddle playing I've heard have actually been born in London and just you know impressed with probably cases playing and records of them there and I said that my mother's from Ennis Diamond and in Clare I spent a lot of time with fiddle players there and family friends uh, Joe Ryan Bobby Casey Junior Crean um, so I, I think I can say that objectively like that, that what we retrospectively identify as Sligo style West Clare East Clare that's that's kind of gone global to yeah, some extent, yeah. and then you have people born in in Ennis or places like that that they mightn't play in the Clare style law, and they're free to. You know, Tommy Peoples has a huge influence on Clare fiddle playing, so there's a big Donegal uh, blast there somewhere. Yeah. So I I would hate if, if I woke up in 20 years, Diamond Irish tradition music had gone the way of some other tradition that's very regulated. Yeah. That there's a correct way of playing. Yeah. Um. You know, I I. I you know, I've an interest in, in classical music and, and I've been to, you know, say things like fiddle orchestras in other countries. So it just does very little for me personally as a, yeah, you know, yeah. as a fiddle player rather than <laughs> my archival hat on here. Um, you know, I like the freedom. I like the people having, um, yeah. Uh, like kind of, it's almost like an impressionist approach rather than a photographic approach. You know that that there's. So when you talk global in that context and how the tradition has spread, and you know particularly with the Canadian context, context, you know there's the Newfoundland, and we'll talk a bit about that. But then you get into Quebec, and there's a very strong Irish influence, but yet it's very Quebecois. Yeah, and then you get up the Ottawa Valley. Yeah, and you have a very strong Irish influence, but yet it's the Ottawa Valley. Yeah, and it kind of relates to what you were saying about Donegal and Clare. The same thing applies, and the same would have been mentioned London. So the uh, net of Irish traditional music is very much a global net. Yeah, yeah, I think it, think it is. Uh, it's at one point it probably could be traced to. 
you know, the diaspora and where they went. But I think with technology and recordings and, you know, for the last hundred and, what, 20 years, 30 years, that, that you're into you're into a, another form of, of uh, if you it's uh, maybe in post pandemic here we can say exponential growth again but uh, uh, yeah I think I think that's hugely interesting you know to see where tunes go uh, styles go ornamentation approaches go I, I don't, you know it's it's some of the traditions are so intertwined anyway like you know it's like good ideas spread and yeah. uh, and not too dissimilar, I would have studied folkloristics and, and like how stories can travel right across the world and, and uh, the universality to them. Yeah, yeah. And in a Canadian context, I remember going to um, to Cape Breton and, uh, about 15 years ago, and um, uh, I, I stayed on. I think it was at Celtic Colours for a few days performing, and then I stayed on for a, uh, doing a bit of fly fishing up the Marguerite Forks there. And there was a fantastic fiddle player. Uh, it took me a while to cajole him to play. Now, Cameron uh, Chisholm. Okay. And he was stunning. You know, there's just a, his style of play, his command of the instrument, the bowing, was, and phrasing. It's just uh, like one of the, the, yeah, one of the best, uh, most, well, for me, uh, best is a, a very subjective, but one of the, the, the musicians I most enjoyed hearing playing live and, and in person but uh, he had so much um, such a, like he had a great tradition in, in Cape Breton which extended back to the Highland clearances you know you have uh, at, a, at a time where Ireland, the Gaelic speaking and, and you know Gaelic in, in Ireland was very very closely related families very closely related piping traditions very closely related you have fiddle, you know, the, Scot the Scottish golden era, fiddle playing as well, you have migrants from, seasoned migrants going from uh, from the west of Ireland to, to Scotland as yeah. well, and staying in bodies coming back with tunes, so and then you go back another five, six hundred years, you're into the swapping of the Bardic Harpers going, you know yeah. and, and so you, how you would begin to unravel where you know tight borders between where's the chicken and, where's, and where's the chicken and the egg yeah exactly so and then that's that's a before you know the likes of Cameron Jesus pre you know ancestors left Scotland you know yeah. so you're um, so in some ways yeah, it's, it's very interesting and then in other ways uh, it's just why was I interested in Cameron it's just because he was a brilliant player like yeah. I couldn't uh, you know <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, th I think Scotland, um, Ireland, you know, in the north of England as well, you've wonderful fiddle tradition there as well. Like to James Hill, that his tunes travelled all over Scotland, Ireland, uh, all over North America, and now everywhere else. I knew that music was played. So I think it would be, it's nice to hear differences as well. It's nice to hear, uh, like you're describing, you know, different pockets of of, uh, of Canada where there's you know, we're all, I think we're it all the better for it. And it evolves its know. own, uh, again, like we have here in the different uh, no, nuanced localities. You have that. Um, talk to me a bit about the Newfoundland. Okay. Yeah, well, Newfoundland, um, the, a, a grand time is the, the name of the digital exhibition. It's on our website at itma.ie. 
Um, so it's, a, it's under the digital, digital exhibition space there, so Grand Island, Newfoundland. Um, so it's primarily born out of uh, a wonderful collector, Aidan O'Hara, who spent uh, time in, in, in Newfoundland and donated his collection here prior to my, my time. Uh, I started in, in 2019 here, so my predecessor, Grace Toland, um, uh, led that project up and uh, digitised a lot of Aidan's collection, made it publicly accessible in a, in a kind of curated sense. There's other collections there as well. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I travelled to Newfoundland, lucky enough to be brought across to the, the Seamus Cray uh, Festival as well. And um, there's wonderful people collecting there, like uh, Graham Wells and, and, and others uh, in St. John's. There's, um, yeah, you can, you, Irish music is. is uh, is very strong there in, in, in a lot of uh, a lot of ways. It has its own gloss as well, yes. which is, is very interesting too. Obviously, people are proud of their, their Irish heritage as well in, in Newfoundland. So um, that's that's uh, yeah. If you any of your listeners are interested, yes. it, it's all available freely accessible it there. Is, and you would have noticed, of course, particularly in the Southern Shore, between the names. The Powers and the O'Briens and the, the Hearns yeah. and the Walshes, that you had the strong Waterford connection over there. Yeah. And the accent. Yeah, yeah, the accent's still strong. And I even I felt, I don't know, as I imagine, for like kind of physical, uh, you know, the nudges to oh, the yeah. shoulder and a kind of slap on the back in a, in a jovial but firm well, way, you know, that it was, uh, it, felt, it felt like, yeah, exactly, or in Waterford. Uh, uh, I used to play poker with uh, a group and one of them was from Newfoundland and uh, you know the way we would say your man yeah and I was talking about your man and next thing we were going on and I said my Newfie friend I shouldn't say Newfie my Newfoundland friend says he was going on about buddy eventually I said who's buddy and he said it's your man <laughs> oh yeah 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 because they talk about buddy this and buddy that yeah and, and we say your man yeah but yeah, yeah, just, yeah but there was that similarity in many ways yeah 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 and i think the i think there's there's still there's new people born in newfoundland who are fantastic players of irish music song and dance and define themselves as such and uh wonderful sessions there there's classes there's festivals yeah. concerts you know it's it's, uh, it's probably under under recognised probably in, in, in Ireland you know and even probably in Canada because I think you know Quebec would probably get um, from uh, the what would be fiddle playing and dance Quebec would probably get a, a higher awareness and even the Ottawa Valley yeah um, there would be a greater awareness to many extents um, we didn't talk about language and I guess language, the, the Irish language would probably really fall under the remit of be it Conor um, Nagelga or one of the other organisations uh, or uh, would you um, consider uh, Aurani Asgelga as falling under your remit? Oh yeah, 100% yeah, right. yeah. No, uh, like a large percentage of our collection depends on the year, you know, obviously it maps the the you know the, the percentages of our collection of any decade or any era would probably reflect the percentage of tradition bearers speaking in, in or, and singing or performing through the language you know right. so no, we would have uh, 
It's a big collections. Yeah, I've, uh, I'll show you in a little while. We have Eugene O'Curry, the you know, wonderful Irish language scholar. Um, he was a Clare man who uh, worked uh, very closely with George Petrie to collect songs in Irish. So right. the, his manuscripts, some of, some of which um, are here. Um, we would have, uh, you know, we would collect even contemporary now. Say we'd have interviews with, like, say, Sarah Grealish from Connemara. Right. Uh, uh, Sheila Denver, wonderful singer from Connemara, interviewed her for us. We would, yeah, we have a, a collecting project in Connemara um, to, to collect from from musicians, singers, and dancers, particularly that you know there would be of an advanced age. Um, so we would have had a, a project that we're doing another one next month in Kirk Queen and the Wales up there so kind of ties in with a bit what uh, we spoke about earlier the at risk material yeah. in people's heads so uh, the, the Irish language is an integral part of, of, of the music tradition as far as I'm concerned uh, that's reflected in our collections I think Willie Clancy the uh, celebrated Piper you know he, his advice to young people was go learn the Irish language first because right. there's more Music in the language, and there isn't the music itself. Mm. Um, you know, it's collections of say, like we've Matty Joe Hamish, a wonderful collector in Connemara. We've I think over four hundred mails reels from Matty. We have collecting projects in Connemara with, from uh, advanced tradition bearers there. We've another one in Corcoran in the West Kerry Gael to start next month. So it's yeah, where we where we can we uh, prioritise the at risk kind of tradition bearers there to make sure their story is collected but in their language you know right. I'm going to switch up fairly briefly to current day because one of the things I've noticed is like Ireland is now a multicultural country mm. and uh, I know there's a wonderful piper down that lawn Liam Wynette mm. um, and he's, he's black and I was surprised when I saw Liam playing the pipes, does a wonderful job. Yeah. And I remember coming to some of the flas and seeing uh, Japanese visitors and they're there in the fiddle in the middle of the session. Yeah. Um, that the, a bit like a lot of things, the export happened. Yeah. And the fruits of it are now coming back yeah. with what would have been the ears abroad coming back and performing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we, we're seeing that. Like, like our Google Analytics would show the you know we have the guts of two hundred thousand users to our website, and we can see what countries they're coming from. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned Japan. There's uh, there's a very serious pocket of traditional musicians there that they want they don't want a kind of a maybe it's the wrong phrase a kind of plastic paddy yeah. top skim at the well they want a deep end to go down into it so they want their hardcore pure drop down the you know down yeah. the bottom of that well they want, they want to get there um, so there's I think there's 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 people all over this world that define themselves as traditional Irish musicians who have no uh, uh, kind of ethnic connection to as Irish, but that's that's who they'll define themselves probably on their their deathbed. You know, well, yeah. what were you? I, I, I'm did this and this, but I'm an Irish traditional musician. Yeah. You know, yeah. the beat line I kind of makes sense with an Irish context. It's the the converse of of yoga. Like someone said thirty years ago, that in every small village in Ireland there be yoga class on Tuesday or Wednesday nights. You think, oh, what the hell is yoga and what, what's that about? But now it's 
you know, yeah. something people do and they define themselves on. Oh, I'm a yoga teacher. I go to yoga. I, I love yoga. Yeah, yeah. So I think Irish music has gone on a kind of um, almost like a cultural colonialism. Yeah. It's occupied spaces in countries where I think a lot of their own moral traditions have died out in terms of music making as a communal social event. Right. Without, you know, in some countries and some traditions, music is something that's performed by professionals with mics and all types of props and stages and, you know, there's five people performing and 50,000 in a stadium. Right. And all and the 50,000 feel they can't do what the, the five on stage can do and the, right. and the five on stage can do, can't do it without all the, that's right. the, the, the lighting the and the gear. Yeah. So I think there's a kind of um, there's a we're lucky in Ireland at the edge of Europe with all that was going on in our history, that the tradition survived, and that it could, you can have a session. You, you mentioned Matt Malloy earlier. Matt Malloy could be playing in his pub, Matt Malloy's in Westport, Mayo, and um, he could be playing with someone who just arrives in off a uh, off a flight from Japan or America, yeah. Canada, wherever, and they they can join in on that in, uh, session. There might be ten or twelve people playing. Matt Malloy will be playing better than everyone, but he'll be part of that community yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. You might only know a certain percentage of the tunes, you might know them all, but it can function at that level. And that's not to say that, uh, that there's not hierarchies within the art form, of course there is, but there's a social functionality that, that can be communal. And so I think that's the key to why it can bring meaning to communities in other parts of the world. So that's, that's in some ways in the archive we have a duty to kind of map that growth for future generations to see like there's you know so if there's a recording of a band with Kayleigh Band in, in Tokyo we should make sure we have a copy of it here for future right. reference right. as well as you know so we, we have a global remit that way to, to document um, that growth conversely so that's, that's easy in a way like the kind of like Irish musicians globally, you know, and where they publish recording, we've systems to try and make sure we've copies, or people will send us copies, uh, ideally. But it, within Ireland, you may start being a, a, you know, a kind of a, um, multicultural, increasingly multi-ethnic, multicultural society, and I, th- I think that brings its its challenges for for the tradition uh, in in terms of. If you can't see it, you can't be it as well. It takes, you know, the, the old Seamus Ennis saying that it takes 21 years to be a, a piper, you know, seven yeah. years learning, seven years practicing, and seven years perfecting. And, you know, so it's, we're slow to see new Irish, if, you, if that's the, the right term, um, uh, progressing to that, that stage that, you know, we're, we're looking for heroes within that new Irish right. community. We ran a concert here reflecting migrations in the National Concert Hall. Um, and w- when we stopped and, and, and thought about it, you know, we had a wonderful, uh, we looked at migration to Ireland and from Ireland. You know, we have members of the, the Traveller community that have been, you know, um, discriminated against for, for, on so many different levels over the years. So we had a wonderful singer who's collecting for the Ark of Thomas McCarthy. We had a Sosa Igodara, who's a wonderful uh, singer, born in Ireland, of uh, with Nigerian father, and um, 
an amazing singer sings an Irish show we with people born in London um, John Blake and, and Jesse Smith of Baltimore uh, Philip from Baltimore USA you know who who are exceptional performers of the tradition they're, you know when they're when John's in London he's viewed as Irish when he's in Ireland you know people I was in West Clare with him and someone called oh, yeah, but you're sure you're English and he yeah. defines himself yeah. as Irish so there's, it's a very uh it's a very mixed pop, but all these people define themselves as Irish tradition musicians, and if they do that, that's 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 all that matters. And and uh, we, ha- I think, we're looking to make sure that it's welcoming. What archi- what the archive can do is democratize access to the material. So if someone hasn't got access, uh, you know, we should be able to digitally provide that, so they can, uh, and we should support um, leaders. And when you think of uh, Say Cromwell's uh, kids, you know, according to oral tradition, at least, you know, the, the, the father comes and conquers, and his, his kids, one generation later, are speaking Irish, you know. So uh, <laughs> uh, I think for anyone who has fears around uh, the dilution of tradition, I think they'd be more in danger of. Um, of uh, forgetting the fact to, to get stuck into learning and playing. If you think that much about it, do something yourself, you know. Um, so that's, that's uh, I think it's, a, it's just opportunities to bring new talent in and new. Before we wrap up, um, you mentioned uh, you had the gig in the concert hall, but you also have gigs here uh, regular. There's uh, performances happen here. If someone is visiting, are they regular or and how intimate are there so I guess it's, it is a small space uh, if somebody happened to find themselves in town I guess website's the best place yeah. check it out uh, how regular? yeah website or follow you can subscribe to our newsletter is probably the best uh, or follow us on, on social media and Facebook uh, or Instagram or some of the other social media ones um, uh, I think like we put our bigger concerts on the national concert. So what we have is two concerts a year, and then we do regional tours. We send some musicians out. So we commission 160 artists a year, and our artistic philosophy is to connect artists with archival material to create new works. So um, now that new works could be like just tunes informed by you know uh, their their time spent with collections here. So um, we. Uh, yeah, we've we've a lot of performances. The building itself, with the public library on the first floor, so no appointments, just just come in. I yeah. think that's the best way. Just come in and, and have a browse, and you'll be overwhelmed, but there'll be enough kind of seeds planted. You'll come back with a, the following visit. You'll have something. Um, you'll have some type of roadmap for yourself. But the concerts in, we've, we're open for Culture Night. We've uh, we've six half hour concerts for Culture Night at the right. end of uh, September. But generally, uh, we we try and um, we try and increasingly move physical to digital. So, like, you'll, if you want to hear good music and the highlights, of what we have, follow us on social media. Go to the website, subscribe to the newsletter. Um, as a, you know, there's but we visitors are, are more than welcome physically but we're conscious the audience is, is the global audience is digital yeah. and again to come back to something you said earlier 
Uh, I know a few individuals who have composed wonderful music, and not only in the Irish tradition, but they're Irish emigrants. Yeah. Um, you would be strongly urging that they should be feeding you in. Is it feeding into you what they have composed and their, their recordings? Yeah, absolutely. I think composers, and it goes back to the monthly commission, you know, say her that. I, I haven't spoken to a lot of composers. One of the difficulties they have, a friend, Johnny O'Connor, he's a fantastic composer living in, in Connemara. To, he's composed about 90 tunes. He put about 15 to 20 on an album, and then he got a burst of inspiration after that and composed another 40. Right. But he, if he goes to his local session and he starts playing 40 of his own composition, he'll ruin the session A, B, no one be talking to him, and uh, and it's just rude. (laughs) So, and then he has all these tunes that he wants to live and share, but he doesn't want to go make another album and cough up the five to ten thousand euro to hope that it... So, the the digital platform that Itma can offer is to connect kind of... In a, in a safe space composers with the public and the public like it there when you go to the session or if I use Johnny O'Connolly when he goes to the session and spill now a few of his friends or the people playing that session might have already learned stuff off it's his oh, off fantastic. the online version you know yeah. and or if they don't like it uh, you know <laughs> there's no need for a, 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 a communal dialogue around it in public you know Liam we're going to have to wrap up um, it's been fantastic yeah, chatting with you and again let's share the, the it's itma.ie yeah and if you do a search on uh, Facebook and other social media for ITMA or the Irish Traditional Music Archive it'll lead you to all your links exactly yeah yeah. Well, thank, thanks so much for visiting Austin and uh, thanks for helping us spread the, the word in Canada thank you